0: the host of the rebrand podcast the ceo of the harkey group scott harkey
1: all right welcome to the rebrand podcast where as you know we tell untold stories of world changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them i'm your host and founder of OH Partners and the Harky Group, Scott Harky. I've got a fascinating guest today. I spent some time with him before the podcast, learning about his background, and uh, he's not your traditional marketer. He's got a math background, actually. So I'm excited to have Lee Caldwell, who is the co-founder and partner at Irrational Agency, which is a behavioral insight agency that helps brands create winning retail strategies grounded on their in-depth research in consumer psychology. They have 50-plus global clients, including leading brands like McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Sony. Red Bull, GSK, Nokia, Diageo, Etsy, and Financial Times. Yesterday, Lee and I talked about a ton of stuff, behavioral science practices that uncover these storylines and human truths. And today we're gonna talk about why some of the largest brands in the world are seeing new trends and what Lee is on the front line with some of the biggest brands in the world. Agency out of London. So let's talk about it. Let's see how things have changed. I mean, we've seen COVID and we've had financial stress and we've had hyperinflation and sustainability kind of stuff going on. And I mean, there's got wars going on what is the psychiatric state of our world and consumers and us as brand leaders? Where can we help and where can we play a role in in lives of people that are changing just so dramatically? So let's get Lee back in and let's get
2: into it. What's up, brother? Welcome back. Hey, good to see you again. Yeah. So let me talk about an example of uh, a brand that we work with, which is PepsiCo. And so... PepsiCo has got a combination of kind of global trends that they're interested in, global landscapes they want to explore, as well as local market-specific topics. And so we've used this uh, System 3 concept that we talked about yesterday, which is about understanding the consumer's imagination, understanding the stories and the narratives that people tell themselves, to see how can PepsiCo uh, tell the right story for their brands in each of these local markets and respond to the trends that are that are happening. So, sustainability is a really big one. PepsiCo has got this uh, program called Pet Positive, where they are uh, they realise that they have a responsibility to be a sustainable brand over the coming decades. But how does that actually play out for them? What are people's expectations from Pepsi, from also from Lay's and the snack brands that they own? is it all about, you know, the the first thing that they found was it's all about packaging. So the, the natural response for people to think about when they think about a, a big consumer packaged goods brand is you produce a lot of plastic. Your, all of your bottles, your your cans, your potato chip packets, these are, they're being thrown away. Are, are, are you going to recycle them? Are you going to make sure they can be recycled? So that's part of the conversation. But what PepsiCo realized is that the the bigger impact for them in many ways is actually agriculture. So they are um, a huge user of agricultural products, of course, the potatoes or the the plants, the sugar that goes into their products. And these have a big carbon footprint. They wanted to understand how consumers are thinking more broadly about sustainability. What are the, the stories that people have around the environment, around the future of the environment, around their own responsibility, around the responsibility of brands, And how can, how can PepsiCo therefore speak to those stories and tell a story that's compatible with what consumers are ready to hear? And in a way that is, that works for the PepsiCo brand does not seem hypocritical, does not seem, does not seem, uh, you know, just paying lip service, but actually that people will believe.
1: So, okay, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to piss people off here, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it anyway. And because we, we talk about sustainability a ton in at least the world I live in, which, you know, major brands just like you. And. The limited research that I've done and, and the different category, you know, I, I know every category is different, and every sustainability message is different. And maybe the word is just so broad that it, that it doesn't fit for a lot of people. And when you say the word sustainability broadly, I think again, depending on the category, it can fall really flat with consumers, and they're they're very critical. And As much as they say it's important to them, it's typically, from what I've seen, not a sales driver, especially first message kind of driver. And I love what you're talking about, where okay, this is PepsiCo, this is a large corporation that cares about making money for their shareholders. Typically, Um, of course, they want to play a a role in people's lives, and and they do a great job. And I I started my career doing Pepsi, so there's no one that loves Pepsi more than me, and I've got a community of Pepsi people I work with like early on in my career. But when we talk about trends of consumers, like where are the threads of what they really do care about? Because it just seems so broad. And a lot of people in this space, other than like a Patagonia who is so authentic and is so real and actually does care. And people certainly believe they do care because they show it with their actions. The whole sustainability, like I catch myself and I hate it when people talk about. They even mention the word sustainability when we're talking about brands, and I roll my eyes. Like I don't show it, but like inside, like help yeah. me understand where I'm missing the boat a little bit. And I, I, I you know, like I've had food brands like Raising Canes. They do an amazing job with food to, to homeless, and they they don't waste any food. And there's like a lot of really great stories, and and people are doing really good things, you know, Ikea, there's a bunch of stories of of things that they do to help, although they, they have a lot of waste, of course, no matter how well they do. So I just catch myself maybe, maybe I'm in marketing, like always like, I don't know, rolling my eyes. Is that how do people really feel about it like deeply or and, and where am I missing where am
2: I missing the boat? Or maybe I'm, I'm just the word is like kind of, you know You know, I think mean. a lot of it is a lot of it is the words and The word sustainability, as well as certain other words in this area, they're either they're so abstract or they have got associations and stories along with them. So what we found is we went to around 6,000 consumers around Europe and we took them through scenarios from their own lives so we, what we would do is we'll get them online uh starting to do a survey and then rather than just asking them some questions because the classic way of asking questions in a survey is like on a scale from one to ten how important is sustainability in your daily purchasing behavior it's crap frankly so what we do instead is we take them through scenarios and stories so we we get them to tell us a story from their lives we give them a couple of prompts we might say so let's say you're out in uh, you know grocery shopping and You are, you know, you see some products on the shelf and you realize that they are, there's a lot of packaging here. Tell us how you feel about that. You know, what does that say to you? Or we say something like, imagine you are uh, talking to your kids, Your, your kids come home from school. And they're asking you about, you know, they heard from their teacher about carbon emissions. And they ask you, what can we do to make this better? or Can we do something with this? So then it makes it a lot more human. It starts to ground it. And well, people do have these conversations with their kids, they do care about these things in a different way when it's framed in that way. And so instead of saying, here's a brand coming to you with like a lecture about recycling. We say, what's the natural place in your life for this conversation to arise? if at all. And for some people, it won't be. So, you know, we ended up with a bunch, with five different personas. you got like the one persona was the uh, Alicia, the activist, who is like very much like on, she's probably more likely to be a, a woman, probably like in her, Teens or twenties, uh, she's really hot on this stuff. And then you've got Rick the resistor, who's at the other end, and he's like the the denier or the skeptic. And then you've got people along the spectrum who are compromisers, who are they don't want to feel blamed, they want to blame someone else. There's different personas that are that come up here. And they each have their own story. They each have their own way of talking about and thinking about the environment. And what we found is there's these clusters of words. So one of the things that the System 3 approach produces is a visual map. It's like a, look kind of looks like a mind map. And there might be a couple of hundred different words and concepts in there, and they cluster together. So you have a cluster of words that are, in a way, they're the technocratic words like sustainability, net zero, carbon, words that people, they sort of like respect them intellectually, but they don't necessarily relate to them. Then you've got other clusters of words. One is a negative cluster like dirt, toxic, pollution. And these are things that people really do respond to in a, a visceral way, but in a negative way. So they're kind of fleeing from that cluster. And then there's a cluster of words that are much more holistic and positive. There are things like world, life, planet, support, care, These are words that actually tap into people's emotions. And that is actually the words, the cluster and the language that brands need to use. Because when they talk about caring for the planet, when they talk about life, they talk about they talk about animals, for example. Animals are a very emotional topic for many people. Those are the the words that and the stories that brands can tell that are motivating. They tap into what people really care about. And not to talk about, not to use language like net zero sustainability targets, all of that turns people off. But when you talk about these, this emotional side, you can tell a story that's more meaningful to people and uh, that they will respond to and see where your brand actually cares and can make a difference.
1: That makes a ton of sense. And of course, breaking it down and finding kind of middle and and finding a way to play in all categories without the kind of political connotation that especially in the Western world, (laughs) it certainly exists. Okay, talk about some other trends. Obviously, we've seen inflation and, and consumers are certainly getting hammered, you know, especially lower income with just the cost of goods. I actually was hoping to go to Expo Natural Expo West out in Anaheim and I didn't make it. I was super bummed because I wanted to see what some of the brands in that natural category were thinking. But
2: any other surprising trends that you've seen so far? Yeah, so we did a, a study recently around cost of living and how brands can respond to that. And we found that there is, so obviously there's a financial, let's say a material side to the cost of living uh, crisis and to inflation. Clearly, like there's, there's numbers involved. You know, people have got a certain amount of budget and things cost a certain amount. But there's also a very emotional side. And the emotional side is partly driven by people's own experiences, but it's also driven by the media. And the fact that everyone's talking about prices going up, incomes being stagnant, makes people anxious and worried. So there's a big cohort of consumers who are, they have this emotional experience of inflation that is more dominant for them than their necessarily their immediate financial experience. And so those emotions of fear, of worry, of anxiety, again, this breaks down differently. People with children have greater amounts of anxiety typically than than people without. And Brands have an opportunity to respond to that with their own emotional story. So you, in a way, the, the thing we say is you can't solve an emotional problem with a financial answer, a financial solution. You've got to solve it with an emotional answer. And so there's different ways that brands can provide that emotional response. And one of them is the idea of the miniature, the psychological victory. So if you are offering people a deals in the, in the supermarket, if they can feel like, oh, I was able to save money, like, you know, I got money off here, instead of all the prices going up, but actually here I got a discount or a price freeze. So on certain products, in certain categories, you freeze the price and that gives you space, emotional space to, to raise other prices more. And so you'll find that, let's say that on average prices might be going up like 9%. If instead of just putting everything up 9%, if you say, I'm going to freeze these ones, I'm going to cut these ones by 5%, but then these other ones are going to go up by 25%. That's actually a much more navigable landscape for consumers because they get the emotional victory of the cuts or the freezes, um, and that allows them the space to give themselves permission to spend more on the higher-priced items. So this is something again to take PepsiCo as an example. They were able to raise their average uh, price, I think, 17% last year, and. Uh, they this you know they were able to increase their revenue in an environment of uh, of financial pressure, and that and some of how they've done that is through you know they are great users of behavioral science, not just through our work, but they've used it as a company uh, very widely. Some of the retailers are very good at this, especially in the UK. We have a very sophisticated uh, grocery sector where there are four or five main players, and they are they have very sophisticated data strategies, and they are also able to use these techniques to say, right, here's where we can give the customer an emotional victory that will allow us to be able to raise prices elsewhere.
1: That's really fascinating. I I heard a couple of insights for our listeners from a... And again, I'm going to say the word sustainability and just completely go back on everything else I said. But from a cares about the environment messaging, I heard how much packaging matters from you as an insight. And then this pricing strategy was pretty interesting and really... Uh, shows the diversity of work that that your firm does for brands which is super interesting what other trends you know I, i'm thinking like is the war obviously china flexing and and ukraine and to me it just seems like the the west is really very lockstep in messaging together on a lot of things are, are you seeing more fear from from people in general and and how can brands play a role with that storyline or do they Um, Or where do you see the future kind of going for some of these brands that were familiar?
2: I mean, I think this is still the war, as much as it is visible, it's still a little bit distant. It's still a little bit abstract for people. So, you know, they'll watch it on the news a little bit like you'd watch a you'd watch a movie it gives you you know there's there is an emotional story there and there is you know of course there is like a hero's journey and you you know uh, we have this narrative of the hero and the villain and that probably most of us buy into and we're not that I don't agree with that but it's the you know there's a story that we're all kind of immersed in there and um that story it has emotional buttons that it pushes but the it probably is a little bit like the sustainability conversation. Making it relevant to the consumer is it's not obvious how to do that. Where it becomes relevant is because of the supply chain problems that it has caused and the, and the price impacts that uh, shows up in, in people's wallets. And I think it's uh, it does take people a while for the story to filter through from that distant place into your daily life. And the, th- and the same thing with lots of the conversations around China. The... Uh, China and the role of China in the global economy has, of course, been growing uh, for decades. And people do see that in their daily life. They see that many of the products that they have are uh, are from there. They can see, they probably don't see as obviously the impact on prices. One of the the big impacts of, of China in the last the recent decades has been actually to keep inflation low, which is perhaps why we're suddenly surprised by it when it shows up now and it is a little bit back to the 70s. And so the... Again, when you see the say what's happening politically in China, you see the some of the conflicts say between the Biden administration and the and the Chinese government. Then, the initially it looks like one of these stories playing out that's very dramatic, but doesn't impact me. But I think when when it does start to show through on, maybe you. Uh, you can't get your car because there's no chips available to put in it that in turn drives the price of, of new cars up drive, drove the price of used cars up last year the
1: uh let me jump in i guess when I'm, i guess maybe what i'm asking do, do you think consumers are just more fearful today with everything going on after covid after inflation it just seems like it's one thing after another and maybe that's always been the case throughout history in, in some ways but as you're studying consumers for largest brands in the world and you're and you're finding these storylines and these insights, like are you surprised at the resilience or are you surprised at the amount of anxiety for consumers as a as a you
2: know just general yeah, category? I am more surprised at the resiliency. I think there is mm-hmm. there are there obviously are these emotions and we did we did see that anxiety about cost of living and and prices. But One of the functions of stories in the brain is to translate something distant into something immediate. So one of the the ways psychologically the stories work is they take something that might be happening next year, or might be happening in another part of the world or happening to another person. And they allow you to feel the emotions here and now that either the emotion that other person will feel, or the emotion that you'll feel next year, they allow you to translate something distant into something immediate. And so I think the what the interesting question is, let's say that I feel the emotion the, the fear of empathy with a Ukrainian family who are under attack. will that fear sit with me as something that is only relates to that situation or will it gradually start to influence my own daily behavior and the fears that might influence my my product choices or how I live my own life and I think it's actually taken. It's actually been slower to happen than we might have expected. So, the fear is there, but I think the fear is not affecting daily behaviour to uh, the extent that you might think. And it's uh, so. I suppose that the opportunity for brands is to surely understand the stories that are going on in people's heads and empathise, but without without panicking, without saying, "Okay, suddenly we have to change everything." Suddenly we have to revolutionize what we're offering because actually the impact of daily behavior is probably a little bit less than you might think. That's awesome. I mean, damn, that's kind of in some ways fired
1: me up a little bit as a brand marketer. Like people are resilient and yep. there is storylines in that hero's journey of resiliency and no matter what's going on, what is the resilient of, the, you know, where are the traits and behaviors and the storyline of resilience that your customers have and how do you tap into that because it's infectious and, you know, there's, you know, hope works in a lot of ways and people are resilient. We have been resilient creatures for a long time. And maybe as the news media and all these things just pound us with a lot of times negativity, brands have a real opportunity from everything from packaging to pricing to testimonials to content creation that continues that storyline that people want to get through hard shit and they can and they will. And that's freaking kind of cool. Like I'm, I'm pretty fired up about that. And actually, you know,
2: right, right now at time of recording where we've just seen the collapse of the Silicon Valley bank, there was this fear over the weekend that, oh, everything's going to go under, everything's going to fall apart. But actually, you know, we, the system stepped in, it kind of Showed that it it has a resilience, and we're a couple of days into the next week, and things are kind of okay. Like nothing, there, there hasn't been like a chain reaction of every bank collapsing. In a way, we saw in two thousand and eight, there were a couple of things happened. The system kind of protected itself, and actually, the economy survived. And we, yes, we had a little bit of downturn, but that resilience was there. And I think that uh, we'll we'll see that again now. I think so too. You know, I mean, I had.
1: You know, I'm part of a YPO group and um, we actually had a confidential text message with thousands of people. And we're all helping each other. And I mean, um, I had some friends that a startup that, you know, raised like 60 million, had like wow. 18 million in bank. You know, one day it's there, one day it's gone. I yeah. Know, crazy yeah. shit. Terrifying. Like Monday. So to see the people band together and figure shit out, and even, you know, <laughs> the US government get their shit together, figure yeah. something out. Like it was really, to your point, like, yeah, it, it was pretty cool to see that, that the speed at which problem solving happened, uh, similar in 2008. So, yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's really cool. I like this third system that you refer to. And I, I've seen a ton of brands deletioning and marketing and different things and different branding agencies and different processes of branding. Like what celebrity would you be like and a bunch of bullshit. Uh, this is really interesting. And I I like how you guys have put it about how people want to see how they fit in and people are automatically filling in stories. And if you're not aware of it, and you're not planning for it, and you're not inserting yourself with your customers into that storyline, then you're really missing out and there's not going to be behavioral change or there might be behavioral change if somebody else is doing it and and you'll see a switch. I mean, the most interesting thing too, and I'm going off on a tangent like always, but the most interesting thing I've seen on... Newer consumers too, Gen Z and younger millennials, like their brand loyalty is lower than ever. And so there's a lot more switches going on. And there's a lot more openness and affinity to products, especially at retail, um, which I'm I'm a big fan of retail coming back in a major way right now. I mean, Mm. D to C during COVID, you know, ramped up, but I I see more people wanting to touch and feel and smell and look at and hold to see if they're going to make the switch and then they'll buy it online if they like it. So just a lot going on. I love this. How how can people find out about your company and learn more? And it sounds like you're working with certainly larger brands, but is somebody is do you have other tools for smaller
2: brands? You know, I'd love to maybe hear more on on what you guys do at your company. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, um, so the uh, the company is Irrational Agency, you can find us at irrationalagency.com or on Twitter at Be Irrational. And yeah, so you're right, we tend to work more with the larger brands but the uh, any brand that has got a little bit of market research budget is is willing to spend in like let's say the tens of thousands of dollars so we're not we can't we probably can't help you at two thousand dollars but in you know at twenty thousand we could so that's the kind of ballpark of if that's the investment that you you want to understand your customers better you want to learn about the stories they have then absolutely uh Be in touch and we'll uh, we'll see what we can do.
1: Love it. Hey, Lee, thank you so much. What a treat to have you on. And I learned a lot and uh, was was stimulated through the process. So I certainly appreciate that. We're going to wrap up uh, another episode of the Red Podcast. Big thanks uh, to Lee for jumping on. Co-founder, partner at Rational Agency. And uh, if you want to hear more about Lee, again, we're going to put his LinkedIn profile on our show notes. I know, I think I'm connected, but if not, I'm going to definitely connect what a range of products and services. And, and look, I'm a I'm a tough critic. When there's other agencies on this show or when there's other ad tech on this show, I'm going to really look at it and make sure they're they're bringing the fire, they're bringing some value. And so guys like Lee doing what they're doing as, as a researcher, an agency or an agency partner, I'm definitely putting them through the ringer a little bit because I want the best of the best on here as researchers. Sources for us. So just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, we have them at the rebrandpod.com. Remember, we got all our summaries and guest episodes, all the stuff's there at the website. Please subscribe if you like the content. Uh, we're building our marketing community. And if you want to be a guest speaker, just uh, head over to the website and you can apply to be a guest speaker and we'll help you with topics. And we're getting a ton of really interesting requests, just like this one with Lee. You know, I see these and some of these I'm blown away. Others, you know, are not a fit, but you never know. Come to our website and uh, and just apply. You know, you can find us on all the social channels. You can find me is probably the easiest. You know, I put out content on other channels. So you can find me on Twitter, SharkyAZ. A Z. You can find me at uh, you know Scott Harkey pretty much anywhere at LinkedIn. No, not the North Carolina Scott Harkey. That's a different guy. He's actually a cool dude, though. He's in financial crypto pay something, but I'm the marketing Scott Harkey. So you can find me anywhere you want. Remember, we're putting content on every day during the work week. So if you subscribe, it's gonna be right back and you feed the next business day. That's it for today. But remember, it's never too to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.